My name is Robert May. I will be speaking based on my book, Yuletide in Dixie, Slavery, Christmas, and Southern Memory. And I am appearing on the Historian's Podcast. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Professor Robert May. Thanks for joining us, Bob. I'm delighted to be here. Robert May is a professor emeritus of history at Purdue University out in Indiana and the author of Slavery, Race, and Conquest in the, Tro- in the Tropics, Lincoln Douglas and the Future of Latin America, and other works about slavery and the South. He lives in the state of Washington. His undergraduate degree was earned at Schenectady's Union College, grew up in New Rochelle, New York, down by the city. He spends a month each year in Geneva, New York. His newest book is Yuletide in Dixie, Slavery, Christmas, and Southern Memory, uh, published by the University of Virginia Press. Were enslaved African Americans in the Old South before the Civil War given better treatment by their white owners during the Christmas season? That's uh, a loaded question, but it, but in in uh, in general, the answer is definitely yes. Um, if if you're talking about the overwhelming majority of slaves, one way the master and the mistress kept their slaves willing to work all year around uh, and uh, to kind of suppress thoughts of rebellion, resistance, was in fact to give them uh, happy Christmases. And so uh, you, uh, you give them extra food. You give them a big barbecue, maybe, uh, hog roast or whatever. And you uh, give them a big dance, maybe down in the barn. Perhaps uh, you throw a feast at the dance. And you give them passes to travel and see their friends and relatives on other places. Some masters, many masters, own more than one plantation, and, um, and of course, slave families were broken up. And, of course, sometimes slaves were sold far away from each other, and they never saw their families again. But sometimes their relatives might be in the neighborhood. And, and so you could travel. And um, you got a lot of uh, presents at, at Christmas uh, from the masters. Often they were given out in rather surprisingly formal ceremonies. Uh, perhaps uh, the master would come out to the... Uh, porch of the mansion and uh, uh, distribute the presents one by one. And uh, they uh, they got other privileges. They got to play a game with the master over Christmas called Christmas Gift, in which on Christmas morning the slaves, um, well, whoever saw the other person first got a gift. That, you had to yell out, Christmas Gift, before the uh, other person got got wind of it, and uh, then you could claim a, a gift. And the Masters programmed this game so they would always lose it. They Almost always. They, they wanted to lose it. You give your slave a temporary psychological victory over Christmas of beating the Master. At any rate, uh, the that's a long answer to your question. The answer is yes. Uh, the average slave got uh, better conditions over Christmas, and, and of course, Perhaps the most important thing is that they didn't have to work. They were given a vacation that could range anywhere from a day to a week. That mm. said, uh, Christmas was also a time when you could punish slaves. And so 
uh, here and there, slave owners who felt their slaves hadn't worked hard enough during the year or uh, uh, didn't deserve uh, presence for one reason or another, or perhaps the master had hit hard times, crop prices were low, crops weren't good, didn't didn't want to spend money on, on gifts for slaves, so they'd cut back. They might give them no presents at all. They might give them no barbecue at all. Uh, or uh, they uh, they might uh, withhold other privileges like traveling around or what have you. So uh, it was a mixed bag. Uh, slaves could get whipped over Christmas. And uh, that, I think, was one of the most um, surprising things to me as I got into my research, that mm-hmm. that slaves were punished. They could be whipped. Uh, they could even be sold away from the plantation at Christmas. And uh, there are cases of mm. uh, slaves even being auctioned on city streets on Christmas Day. Hmm. Well, as you, not the end of your answer there, where you talked about the the whippings and being sold and so forth. But talking about the Christmas, I don't know, um, festivities kind of reminds me of what they sometimes call welfare capitalism. You know, that the uh-huh. companies do, do, do things like that to make their employees happier at the holiday season. It's a good analogy. It's one of the, but the making that analogy maybe points toward one of the problems with this whole concept is that after the Civil War, after slavery, uh, supposedly anyway, is, is over, the people in the South, or the plantation owners or those that favored the Confederate cause can say, well, see, we're not much different uh, from uh, Andrew Carnegie or, you know, these rich uh, in- industrialists who, you know, help, help their uh, workers let's say, at holiday time. Yes, you raise a a crucial point there, Bob. Uh, Starting before the Civil War, because slavery was under such acute anti-slavery attack from the northern abolitionists and other politicians uh, in in the North, like like Abraham Lincoln, uh, in in the years before the Civil War, and then uh, there was, of course, anti-slavery literature, uh, and and so on, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin being perhaps the best example, uh, Southerners felt a, a compelling need to defend their way of life. And they, they did this for all sorts of reasons. They wanted to convince Northerners to back off. They also had to rally Southern whites who didn't own slaves, because only about one out of every four Southern white families owned a slave. So you had to persuade yourselves to rally to the system. Uh, You had to tell uh, Yankees to back off. And you wanted to persuade people overseas who might be learning about the South uh, that you weren't evil. And uh, for all sorts of reasons, Southerners concocted propaganda in their newspapers, pamphlets, uh, speech-making, and and so on. Uh, Not just saying that slavery wasn't abusive, but actually going so far as to say that the uh, slave owners were kindly and humane to their enslaved people. And so this propaganda never mentioned 
that African Americans were working under compulsion. They were always working under the threat of the whip, that families, a huge number of, of families were broken up. Uh, and sometimes uh, African Americans uh, could be uh, could be tortured, and uh, there were cases of this even on Christmas Day. They don't mention any of that, mm-hmm. but they claim their masters are humane. And then one way they prove it is with the is is with propaganda talking about this Christmas gift giving and so on. So you have. Uh, a, a poet by the name of William Grayson, who was a politician. He served in the legis- state legislature and in Congress. And he writes a 54-page epic poem in 1856, uh, specifically designed to defuse anger over Uncle Tom's cabin in the North. And it's called The Hireling and the Slave. And this gets to your point. He, he uh, spoke of Northern factory workers as hirelings. And uh, pointed out that they could be cast out in the streets when they were, you know, aged or infirm or whatever, and that they they weren't protected by their factory owners. But the kindly Southern masters uh, always uh, gave their slaves wonderful Christmases. And of course, the poem talked about much more. But uh, the, the the passages on on Christmas are just striking. The 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 master gives the slaves all sorts of generous gifts over Christmas, warm woolly caps and decorated blankets to stay warm, and then uh, over uh, uh, over the holiday, the slave gets a barbecue and there's a hot roast and so on and so forth, and the Christmas holiday goes on more than uh, one day; it goes on for three days uh, on the. Uh, on the plantation, and then most interestingly, uh, the the slaves are very humble. They're very appreciative. Instead of being resentful of being in bondage and being abused uh, the rest of the year or what have you, the slaves received their Christmas presents with bowed heads and so on. So my point is there was lots of pro-slavery uh, propaganda before the Civil War that talked about Christmas. But then the, the Civil War comes. <laughs> The South loses, and you have the emergence of what uh, historians and others call the lost cause. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the Confederacy and the cause it was fighting for, because remember, there never would have been a Confederacy if they weren't trying to defend a way of life in the Old South that revolved around slave labor, coerced labor, that wasn't uh, that they felt was in danger from the North. That's why the South seceded from the Union was to preserve forever uh, enforced labor. And so they lose the Civil War. Southerners, partly for psychological reasons, uh, they don't want to feel that they fought the war and had hundreds of thousands of men die in a, uh, a uh, inhumane cause uh, and an evil cause, and partly to convince Northerners to back off on uh, reconstruction and then later segregation. Uh, they'd like to see reconstruction end in the South. And then more important, uh, they, they want to have a free hand in reshaping race relations once reconstruction is over, uh, including segregation and all forms of discrimination. And so uh, they, they want to defend what they've done all along. And so although these what, the, what they turn out scores of books and and uh, memoirs and even uh, 
short stories and, and so on. Defending slavery, some of them written by ex-Confederate officers, even a general or two, uh, some of them written by the United Daughters of the Confederacy and its members, um, which was an organization uh, that emerged in the 1890s designed to promote Southern memory and the lost cause. Uh, but you have this emergence of this huge literature defending the Southern way of life. And although they don't say slavery is good per se, and they don't say they wish slavery had never ended because that would have been anathema uh, even uh, in the 19th, late 19th century, they come pretty close to it. They basically mm-hmm. say the masters were humane, and the slaves were thankful for how kindly their masters were. So all forms of slave resistance are erased from this literature. Uh, we know for a fact, and it's a major point in my book, that slaves ran away on Christmas Day, for instance, and uh, all mm-hmm. forms of that, that, that sort of resistance are totally leaded from these uh, uh, scores of accounts uh, that defend the Southern way of life. Uh, and uh, so instead what you get is a, an unblemished uh, view of the slave's Christmas experience, the same kind of partying that went on uh, in in elaborate, uh, that that I mentioned before, but in elaborate detail, much of it fabricated. Uh, You would get the opinion from uh, reading these uh, memoirs and short stories and novels and so on, that every slave owner knew every slave by name, that they went down to the quarters with the presents on Christmas Day because they cared so much for their slaves. So, uh, if uh, if you had an elderly slave on the place who'd be too infirm to trudge up to the big house, the the big man manor where the whites lived, uh, to collect his Christmas gift, uh, the master or the mistress, maybe the the master's children would go trudging down in the muck uh, to the slave quarters to deliver the presents personally, mm-hmm. and each each present was bought bought with care, uh, pre shopped for at a, at a store somewhere in a southern town or city, and uh, given uh, the uh, slave, because the master knew exactly what the slave wanted for Christmas, and and so on, and always the slaves are humble and uh, receive their gifts with smiles and graces, and they mm-hmm. bless the master, oh, Master, Merry Christmas to you, we wish you the best for the whole year, and and that kind of thing. So it conveys conveys a very mellow, Good. benign picture of slavery that belied the reality of what slave life really was. No master ever said to a slave, "Oh, you uh, you have a choice, by the way, uh, John. You can have uh, Christmas, and I'm going to give you lots of gifts, give you a, uh, enough clothes so that you can." survive uh, the, the plantation winters and and uh, shoes so that you can uh, handle the summers and work in the swamps and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, if you want, uh, you can give up all these Christmas gifts and uh, you can have your freedom. Uh, they never did it, although, by the way, in these stories, there are some Christmas tales, legends that came up out of the lost cause uh, that were circulated in these stories and memoirs and so on. Uh, 
that actually had masters offering freedom to slaves for Christmas. Now, this is all fictional. Uh, it rarely mm-hmm. happened in the Old South and uh, never was seen as an alter- alternative to getting slave, uh, getting Christmas presents because okay. slaves were very valuable. You just didn't give them away on a whim. Robert May is with us. He's author of Yuletide in Dixie, Slavery, Christmas, and Southern Memory. You're listening to the Historian's Podcast, and uh, we depend on your uh, donations to keep the podcast going. On our website, bobcudmore.com, you can find the link to our GoFundMe campaign, or you can send a check made out to me, Bob Cudmore, and send it to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Describing um, the Christmas in, in Dixie and the plantations when they existed, your uh, research uh, indicates, I, I believe, that that Christmas time on the plantations could be a time of of great tension. You you tell of uh, a, a little fact that's uh, put into uh, some uh, Southern writing about the start of the Civil War. Do you recall what I'm referring to? Do uh, referring to at Charleston, uh, where uh, this writer said something to the effect, "Well." It's Christmas time, so the militias will all be mustered and be out there. Very good. I'm glad you bring that up. Uh, what we've got is is a uh, a story, a fictional story that was written by the most fanatic, rabid secessionist in the entire state of Virginia before the war. He had been arguing for decades that the South should leave the Union. He was kind of uh, you might say the prophet of uh, of this union, uh, Edmund Ruffin of, of Virginia, uh, and uh, he's reputed to be the man who fired the first shot on on Fort Sumter. Be that as it may, uh, Sumter wrote a, a novel right before the Civil War, published uh, the year before the Civil War, called Anticipations of the Future in which he laid out uh, a story in which the South secedes and wins its independence. And, uh, of course, the story was wrong about a lot of things. Uh, the South never won its independence. But um, it, it, uh, he was right about a lot, including where the Civil War would start, that it would start in an argument over the forts in Charleston Harbor, South Carolina, and uh, so, uh, uh, anyway, uh, Ruffin's talking about the Southern plans to take these Union forts uh, in, in December uh, of this uh, year, uh, this fictional year when secession is occurring. And uh, how are they going to do it? Well, they want to take it at a time when the Union uh, isn't, uh, isn't on guard. And uh, so uh, when they won't be uh, suspicious of Southern movements as they line up uh, troops, the militia troops that, that you were talking about, Bob, uh, to take the, uh, the forts, well, what would be a good time uh, when Northerners wouldn't suspect anything to move troops around? And, uh, well, they pick Christmas Eve. And why do they pick Christmas Eve? Well, Ruffin just has one sentence on this. But he, he notes that on Christmas Eve in previous years, there had been rather regular rumors of possible Christmas insurrections. 
and therefore uh, you always had troops turning out on Christmas Eve to uh, make sure that the slaves didn't overthrow the system and kill their masters and so on and so forth. Well, I use this as a springboard to the book and talk, as you mentioned, about the tension that underlay all these Christmas celebrations, because the truth is uh, the masters uh, had divided minds on slavery. And for the most part, they, they brainwashed themselves into actually believing that owning other human beings, uh, punishing them, and, and so on, uh, depriving them of decent amounts of food, whatever, uh, that all that was okay because of race, that whites were, uh, that there was white racial supremacy, that blacks were inferior, they came from Africa, the United Continent, and uh, they needed to be uh, enslaved and, and possibly brought into civilization. Uh, General Robert E. Lee actually talked about slavery ending someday, but only perhaps after 2,000 years when slaves had been taught what they needed to know about white behavior. Well, uh, to make a long story short, they that's what they said in public, that, that slavery was okay, they were doing the right thing. But in private, there were always these nagging thoughts that maybe slaves weren't as happy as they liked to pretend the slaves were happy, and that just maybe they would seek revenge someday. And uh, of course, slaves were running away all the time. That's why there were so many arguments over the fugitive slave law between the North and the South. Uh, but uh, the other thought was they might rebel and cut their throats. And so every now and then uh, the South would erupt into an, an insurrection panic, and it often occurred at Christmas. And why at Christmas? Well, at Christmas, the guard of whites was down because whites were partying. In fact, one of the things my book points out is that slave musicians sometimes came up and were expected to play at the white Christmas balls and so on. Uh, the uh, they didn't have many people watching what the slaves were doing in their quarters uh, and in uh, on the neighboring roads and so on and so forth. Whites were spending their time around Christmas trees, giving out presents to their families, and and so uh, the best time of the year, perhaps, uh, to rebel would mm-hmm. be at Christmas, right and whites knew that, and so. Uh, therefore, there was a lot of tension. You had these panics year after year, and that's what Ruffin right. picked up on. Uh, we're talking with uh, Robert May about his book, Yuletide and Dixie. We have uh, about six minutes left now. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, a question or uh, bring up a, a chain of a train of thought. Uh, this may be that what you're saying is kind of comfortable f- for those of us who live in the North. Oh, well, that was the, the South. But here in upstate New York, in recent years, we've had more of a focus on slave owning in upstate New York, in particular in the Dutch plantations and some of the uh, British ones, uh, such as the one that Sir William Johnson had in, uh, in in Johnstown, where he had a number of slaves, or maybe not the numbers that uh, existed in the South, but it was... Uh, at least in New York, you know, maybe as as opposed to New England, uh, th- this existed. I wonder if they had the same Christmas customs. Have you ever looked into that uh, uh, about uh, slavery here in the North? First of all, you're absolutely right uh, about um, New York and um, 
about that would hold for Rhode Island too and New Jersey. Uh, there were slaves in all the northern colonies, which is something that's often uh, hidden under the table. And so, yes, uh, especially uh, Hudson River, uh, uh, large farms, and so on. Uh, yes, they they did have slavery, but we need to remember that Christmas itself didn't come in as a uh, a major holiday uh, in New York with the talk of uh, Santa Claus and the the the, uh, the poem the night before Christmas and all that kind of thing that that, that did come out of New York, but uh, it came in later, really in the early eighteen hundreds. That's when Clement Clark Moore lived and, and so on. And uh, Christmas customs were just getting started throughout the colonies uh, in the uh, 1600s and 1700s. Uh, they weren't fixed yet. There was the idea of the Christmas tree and that sort of thing. Uh, they weren't as fixed yet. And so, um, and, and then on top of that, in uh, parts of the North, especially where the Puritans held sway, like in New England, they believed that it was wrong to celebrate Christmas at all. They had banned it in England when the Puritans took over uh, during the uh, the revolutionary times there. And uh, Puritans uh, really pretty much kept it out of much of New England, uh, at, at least uh, for a while during the colonial period until other settlers came in. And so... Uh, the, that's the, the long answer is I don't think we know all that much about how Christmas was um, celebrated anywhere in the country, but I didn't make a specific study of Dutch New York. And it may be that uh, there is work out there that, that studies mm-hmm. how Christmas was uh, celebrated when the Dutch controlled uh, New, New York. You know, one one other like, name I wanted to bring up before we're done, we have about three minutes left now, uh, is Frederick Douglass, the uh, black leader, who commented on uh, Christmas for enslaved people, saying some of the owners wanted to make their slaves drunk with uh, alcohol. Yes, and I'm really glad you bring uh, Douglass uh, up. One of the things I try to do in my book is listen to both white and black voices, so I read Planter's Diaries and so on. Uh, I also read the black evidence from the Times, and some of it came later when elderly ex-slaves gave their reminiscences to New Deal interviewers back in the 1930s, and that they've been published in hundreds. Uh, there, there are hundreds of these, uh, uh, well, thousands, uh, more than 2,000 uh, of these uh, interviews. And um, but but a lot of the uh, evidence came from uh, slaves who wrote accounts of slavery after they escaped to the north uh, before the Civil War. And one of them was Frederick Douglass. And he wound up writing three autobiographies. And one of them, in fact, uh, he did say that the masters literally forced the slaves to get drunk over Christmas. And this gets to the psychological uh, importance of uh, what went on at Christmas. He wasn't the only one to say this. Uh, by getting slaves drunk, the master could embarrass the slaves when they were virtually too drunk to stand up and um, and could say to the slaves, uh, look, uh, this is proof that you really wouldn't be able to tend well to yourselves if you were free. 
best that you let us take care of you, and all you have to do for us is just labor uh, all year long, and we take care of you. We give you clothing. We give you food. Mm -hmm. We make sure you don't get into trouble. And so what we're talking about here is the psychological importance of what went on during the holiday. Solomon Northup pointed out, and, and this is true, that Christmas was a time when many masters allowed their slaves to get married. And so Northup said, we, we could have been thinking about running away. Robert May is author of Yuletide in Dixie, Slavery, Christmas, and Southern Memory. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.